0: Welcome to L.A. Pod, a project of the liberal arts area of study of Austin Community College in Austin, Texas. This is Matthew Laurent, Dean of Liberal Arts, Humanities, and Communications. Thanks for joining the rest of my conversation with Dr. Nora de hoyos Comstock. So when I first came to ACC, I was really gung-ho about the opportunity to teach um, in an open access institution, because I really believed about the, believed in the power and importance of, uh, liberal arts for everyone. Um, but one of the things that I realized is that just an open access institution is not enough. We also have to, um, uh, understand and reach out to students and help them understand themselves as part of this great conversation that, that is the, the liberal arts. So what you've said is, is really affirming to me that, um, you know, that, that these moments of reflection can play an important role in, in helping, in helping students. Um, if I could, let me, let me go back to a point you made that I, I find really fascinating is the, the availability of this new technology, which we have come to realize is, um, uh, it is a tremendous accent in this time of the pandemic, right? I mean, here we are. Um, we are having this conversation through this technology. Um, so one of the things I it made me realize is that um, I, I've been very keen to incorporate uh, digital fluency As part of uh, engagement in the study of liberal arts, uh, which may seem counterintuitive on the surface, because a lot of times we think of those traditional academic disciplines like history and English lit and philosophy as not necessarily being all about Uh, The use of technology, but, but one of the things that your point has really driven home to me is that students, students of no matter what their uh, academic interests are, their programs of study, they have to be comfortable with this technology because it offers all kinds of of opportunities and and that leads us to something I really wanted to explore with you. So you you founded Las Comadres and I think that's one of the things that when I think about you and your accomplishments that really is foremost in my mind. But tell me a little bit about the idea. Where where did that idea come from and how did it come to you that you could use technology so effectively to create Community, uh, and 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 I should point out for people who may not know that uh, this community that you have have founded now extends uh, across North America. There, I, I, it's just an amazing accomplishment that that you have put together. So, tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, I think the first thing that I have to tell you is that we wouldn't be here. Las Comadres would not have made it past the very a small group if it weren't for my husband, Jack Bell. Um, He is a technology uh, person who has worked at various uh, computer companies across the years. And it was his ability to say to me, what do you want? And then go do it, make it happen, you know, make the computers. I mean, we had,
0: wonderful, wonderful. I've been doing
1: stuff in technology because of my husband's support and knowledge of how to make all, I'd say, I want this and it happened. so we had like a mini Dell computers here at the house, you know, with all the entire house was networked. We had all kinds of stuff going on. And if it weren't for that, I'd still be writing letters, you know, and putting them in the mail, uh-huh. which is how actually uh, the very first meeting of Les happened here in Austin. And I had um, two colleagues who really kind of, uh, spearheaded that whole thing. But, but, the, but what we all need to remember is that people all over the country had been thinking about doing exactly the same thing. I was just one of the many people around the country that were talking about it. So when Las Comadas got started and, and I ended up um, making networks all over the country, they all said to me, I had that idea. Well, the whole thing, an idea, unless you can make it happen, is not worth you know, paper. Right, that's so, right.
0: That's the thing. You yeah. had the magic recipe. I mean, yes, I had other people recipe. felt the need, the need for it, and had the idea, but you somehow. So tell me about the magic recipe. I mean, part of it obviously is your, uh, your your husband's support with the technology.
1: But... Absolutely, and if it, again, so I was already on the internet. I was, um, I was working, uh, doing. Um, things early on. I was a part of the, it was, I forgot what it was called, micro, I was part of NCC, the microcomputer and Technology Corporation, MCC, here in Austin uh, when it first started. I worked there. I also was a part of the Association for Computing Machinery very early on. This is without a computer background. I just used stuff, right? I would learn it. I was so excited about it. I would learn it. Like I told you in my dissertation, I was doing stuff that was different. So I was involved with all these people. And, and in Austin, uh, the newspaper, the um television, radio, they were saying, where do you get all this stuff? It's because I was involved really internationally already with people, and so I kept getting information and sharing it via email, which was really the only thing we had at the time. So it was was an email-built system. So I was a pioneer using that very early platform in technology. Um, Right. And it was the same time that iVillage, I don't know if you were around when iVillage was uh, started. I mean, we were all doing this at the same time. So um, because I had that knowledge and I had the ability to do all kinds of things based on the expertise I had here at my own, I was able to network with people all over the country and really share information. So I just took at that level to, I wanted to create a television program that was called Las Tias or Las Comadres or something like that. But we talked about health because I was very interested in health and exercise and all of that very early on. And so then when um, the invitation from two of our colleagues to get together, they were attorneys, to get together and kind of try to build a, a network to support each other, it all fit to into everything else that I was doing, and the whole thing, what I was trying to do, was find the Latinas, because uh, I didn't yeah. know anybody, it was me, I knew one here, one there, but we weren't connected, we didn't know each other, you know, it just wasn't, there wasn't a, a, a group, so, um, anyway, there was an article in the newspaper, uh, October the 8th, 2002, Um that talked about me and that I was building a culture club one Latina at a time, because they were fascinated that I had all this information and they didn't have it, Uh, the newspaper, all these other uh, media sources. And so they interviewed me for quite a long time, and the article was like, I think, three pages with pictures and so on in the newspaper, and 500 women replied because it gave my email address. Wow. 500 people replied telling me, me too. I want to connect to my culture. I want to blah, blah, blah. So I thought, oh, it's not just me. It's all these other people. So then I started getting all their email addresses and inviting them to join. My Austin ended up being Yahoo group. And then the article went viral, so to speak. And people from all over the country were asking me to help them start groups there. And I would say, I can tell you how to do it. I don't have to go. And they were like, no, 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 no! You have to come help us started. And because my husband had traveled all over the world helping people all over with technology stuff, he had a gazillion air miles.
0: Oh wow! And I could, and,
1: and I could go. So That's I got fantastic. hopped on an airplane and went to wherever. And they, I stayed in their homes. They picked me up at the airport. And I stayed in their homes. I hardly ever stayed in airports. I mean airports in hotels. And so that's that's how I built this network all over the country, through the Yahoo groups and through um, wow. The air miles that my husband gave me, because he didn't want to go, he didn't want to set foot on an airplane. So um, that I, I created all these groups, and I started as separate groups, not one big group, because I knew that information from Austin was of no interest to somebody in Iowa. So I started an Austin group, and then an Iowa group, and then a Brownsville group, a San Antonio group, and so it grew by groups because I tried to only provide what made sense, because you can get overwhelmed with anything. So I was trying to manage the data that they received so that it was applicable to them.
0: Right, right. That's an amazing insight that you had that you could uh, create an organization that would sort of provide an umbrella organization, but yet stay focused on local community uh, community issues and, and the things that, that really hold people together and captivate them at the local level. That's and amazing. And it's really
1: important because, you know, anybody else it, or most people would have built one big organization and then just, which is how it happens now, you just send out information. Well, I was very targeted and very focused on building community. Yes. And to build community, you need to be local. And then you can, so if it was a national event, like the National spinal leadership Institute conference, I would send it to everybody. But if it was only an Austin based conference and other people really wouldn't be able to get here because of cost and hotel and all that stuff, then I would focus on the community.
0: Right. Right. I think that's really an amazing insight and it really gives us something to think about, about, uh, you know, when we think about community building, um, you know, community building is always a local uh, a local affair, right? So uh, could I ask you uh, – I'd like to ask you kind of a personal question, um, but I'm always curious about uh, the way we use narratives and stories to understand ourselves and our, our identity. Would you mind to share with me a story about yourself that – you return to, uh, to touch base with your sense of your own identity? Not necessarily a story that's for, you know, consumption by others, but what story do you tell about yourself to yourself that keeps you connected to your sense of identity? The
1: the story that is really most impactful that I think starts the whole thing is a story of my adoption. Um, And I've had to deal with that a lot across the years, not because I didn't know who my mother and my father were, or my brothers and sisters, I knew who they were. I didn't live with them, I lived someplace else. I had opportunities they didn't have and all blah, blah, blah. But the thing that it ends up, and so I'm very interested in this whole process of adoption, in, in, in thinking through that, because people always look for their biological parents. Well, I knew them, but I still had to deal with the feeling that I my parents gave me away. I was a gift. I was a gift to my aunt and uncle, because they could not have children. So it's it's... It's not the ethnic identity that you might be thinking of. For me, it was more basic than that. It was identity, period. I'm, my mother and father gave me away. I was a gift. They didn't have children. They ended up adopting another, um, the, the son of another sister later because they couldn't have children. But I was a gift so that in their old age, they would have somebody to take care of them. So that beautiful um, desire to, to my, my father and my first and my father and, and my biological father and my uncle were first cousins and my mom and my moms were sisters. So it, it was a, a special gift so that somebody would take care of them. But in spite of that, there was something in my May, it, it, I don't know it, in my identity that was trying to understand how my mother could give me up. Okay, um, yes. and so this was an interesting byplay with my mom and me. Every time we saw each other, there was always a little barrier. You know, my biological mom, and she was in my life a lot, but there was a little barrier because we didn't deal with it. We didn't ever talk about it. I didn't talk about it with her until and i'm not sure no actually i talked to her about it after she died she died in 1999 and i think in it's only been a little while ago maybe five years ago or so that i actually that i talked with her about it and it was i was listening to npr i had just left a meeting was listening to npr and that evening i was going to talk tell my story to a group kind of like a mock type group and um, when I sat in the car, turned on the radio, they were talking about a book called Origins. And that book actually spoke about things like um, adoption or after your birth and your connection to your mother and stuff like this. And all of a sudden, it was like my mother was talking to me. And she was going to get emotional. Um, and I don't know why, because I hadn't cried about this since that day. Um every time i told the story i would cry since that day i didn't cry about it ever again because it was resolved it said she said i didn't give you up it like give you up cuz i didn't want you when, you, when I gave you to, to your new mother, I didn't even look at you. I didn't touch you when you were born. Nothing at all. I didn't suckle on her breast. Nothing. I went directly from the birth canal and clean up to my aunt's hands. And my mother said, I could not. I couldn't told you because then I wouldn't be able to give you up. And so she said, you need to know that. I didn't want to. I did, but I didn't. It was something yeah. I had to do, but it was one of the hardest things I ever did. We never discussed that, but through this radio program, it all became very clear to me. And it was it was resolved. I no longer thought about it.
0: Right, that is just such a beautiful and poignant, poignant story. I, I I'm so touched by that. I I I think. You know, I'm I'm curious about these sorts of things partly because uh, it, it seems to me that uh, the way forward for all of us to live in this uh, in this society is for us to uh, understand each other's stories on a very personal level, and of course. You you made the point. It's not just about uh, you know ethnic identity or that sort of thing. It's 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 also the sense of just who you are as an individual person in this world. So I do so appreciate you sharing that that with me. Uh, that's that's just such a beautiful story.
1: And I believe that as a result of that experience, of the adoption experience, my need to build community my need to connect and the connection is very very serious to the latino my latino brothers and sisters the rest of the country the rest of the people i connect with fine i have no problems there but i found that the the desire to connect to my own culture my own tribe, so to speak, from the from the, the real sense of tribe, um, was very strong in me, very, yeah. very strong. So, you know, I put up with a lot and went straight forward to try to help there. And that's why I, um, I am very interested in helping the students that come to Austin Community College, all of them, um, but particularly interested in trying to see how I can help. Um, the Latino community find its way to higher education.
0: Yes, that's that's beautiful. I so appreciate you taking time to have this conversation with me today, and I look forward to more conversations with you in the future. Take care of yourself. Be well.
1: Thank you, Matt.
0: Thank you for joining LAPOD. Our mission is to show you That the liberal arts can save the world one great conversation at a time. LAPOD is produced by Wade Allen, Gabe Sorrell, Sam Hudson, Eli Arzate, and Christine Bowers, with support from the liberal arts marketing,
1: outreach, and promotions team at ACC.